We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, James Anderson. We are brought to you by WinBet, as we always are. Um, I'm happy to be joined by a, a frequent guest, Chris Welsh of In This League and, and Prospect One. Uh, Chris, how you doing? James, what's up, buddy? You can't get enough of me. Can't, I love it. I, lo- I love that the two Matt. episodes we did was like the Arizona Fall League preview and then now we get to like recap it back together. I'm always happy to talk with you. Yeah, now now uh, you know how it feels. Um, I know because I'm always stealing. <laughs> I'm always stealing James. Like anytime I can. Like when we go more than like a month or so without you being on the podcast, like I, like at that point it's it would almost be like is everything okay? You know, like are we good? Like are we good? Like if if I don't hear from you or you don't hear from me, we both are probably like, are we still friends? Are we okay? So uh, that's how much I have you on. The the closest to a co-host that I have on that show is you. Well, yeah, I mean, this is uh this is a great time to catch up and and kind of recap the AFL, sort of put that to bed, and then we can move on to to the rest of our our off season work and everything like that. Um, I'm I know so excited, it's, it's by the way, <laughs> it's it's uh. It's a fun time of year. I mean, I, I really like this time of year um, for just kind of doing deep dives on guys. I am excited for uh, Thanksgiving dinner tomorrow. I know that's become kind of a hot take, but um, I've got some. Ooh, hot, is it hot? It's a hot take to like Thanksgiving. <laughs> it's a hot take to like Thanksgiving now. Wow. Um, okay. I mean, I, I. You know what? You're right. I did see. I, I saw all the takes on Twitter where everybody jumped on the how overrated Thanksgiving is, and now you're kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a hot take to like it. You know, I'm gonna jump on board with you. I'm a fan of Thanksgiving. I like it because it's a lazy day. There's football. Uh, I'm not crazy about the food, but I I think it's hilarious. I think I saw well, the people hating on it. They were talking only about the food with Thanksgiving, talking overrated holiday. That's not the whole thing about the holiday. So let me. I got a quick rant on the food um my theory on the food is that uh you if you don't like thanksgiving food and this this might offend some people if you don't like thanksgiving food to me that says more about who's cooking your thanksgiving dinner than Mm. the food itself Mm. um like my my wife is a plus cook uh, my mother-in-law is a double plus cook. Uh, my aunt is probably a 55 cook. My mom is more of a sort of below average to fringe average cook. And Ooh. so I've had really good Thanksgiving 
dinners. Uh, Maybe your mom's like a quad A uh, cook. <laughs> no, my my mom is a is a sort of high A, like a a twenty three year old at high A, running like a thirty percent strikeout rate. Um, so Jesse Franklin, your mom is Jesse Franklin the fifth. <laughs> that's what you're saying. Yeah, and okay. no, look, my mom's uh, an amazing mom. She's the best mom in the world. Um, but like I've had kind of very mediocre Thanksgiving dinners and I've had just elite Thanksgiving dinners where I was filling my plate multiple times um, and just housing. And to me, I think it's, it's kind of more about, and, and the, my, and a, a good piece of evidence for this is like, everyone's like, well, just give me the Mac and cheese. Give me the Mac and cheese. Like, of course, Mac and cheese is awesome. Anyone can make a good dish of Mac and cheese. It's about the only thing I'm really qualified to make at this point. At that's same thing. Every Thanksgiving, I make the Mac and cheese because anyone can make Mac and cheese. Um, <laughs> the rest of the dishes, you know, collard greens, stuffing, dressing, uh, green bean casserole, sweet potatoes. Could turkey. you imagine trying to make like a casserole? Like I don't, <laughs> I, I legit. I don't even know like what a casserole is. I don't know the definition. Uh, I, I, I look at all those dishes and I'm just like, I wouldn't know where to start. It would be a disaster. I would also hate Thanksgiving if I made all that food. Yeah, yeah. And so I just, you know, it's, it's fine to say that you maybe are not looking forward to the food that is going to be available at your Thanksgiving. But I, I promise you, if you have the right person cooking, all those dishes that everyone is is crapping on, on on Twitter and everything, they can really sing if the right person's in the yeah. kitchen. But um, that's not why people tuned into this podcast. Are you sure? <laughs> Are you sure? By the way, I have a. Do you have a tradition? Do you have any Thanksgiving special tradition? Any of my in this league of prospect one people? Uh, well, maybe not prospect one because I don't like talk about that there. But I do have one tradition, which kind of makes me like Thanksgiving a little bit more. Is tradition is I drink white Russians. That's the only time I don't ever drink those. I'm not even like a f like that's a thing for me. Just for whatever reason, I've done it forever. I get get a little bit of vodka, get the Kahlua, get the ice, get a little bit of the milk, and I drink White Russians on Thanksgiving, and it is a it is a holy tradition in the Welsh household, and it kind of makes me like the uh, Thanksgiving a little bit more because I have that tradition. I don't really have a I don't really have a uh, Thanksgiving tradition. Um, I have a well, it's a it's an old Christmas tradition that I uh, haven't kind of uh, followed up on in a while. But um, my sister and I used to stay up late on on uh, Christmas Eve and drink wine and smoke cigs and watch Die Hard. But uh, we haven't done <laughs> that. That sounds like, like the best night ever. That sounds like a great <laughs> yeah, tradition. Yeah, we haven't done that in a while. But um, yeah, so uh, let's let's get into the AFL. Um, and and don't don't at me on Twitter if if you think you're your wife or your mom is an awesome cook and you still don't like Thanksgiving. Just uh, wanted to get Ooh, that good out point, there. but I would like it at me. If you will join me in drinking white Russians for uh, Thanksgiving, I would like to know that James, yeah. could I count on you? Maybe. I mean, I know it, well, it, I'm I, asking for you to spend money to do it. Cause do you have I even have, have I don't think I have the uh, proper ingredients to even make a, a white Russian. You just need Kahlua or I think maybe some two Bailey, some vodka, ice, and a little bit of milk. That's all you need. Well, I, you know, two for three. I don't, I don't keep Bailey's, um, but I should. I mean, I, I actually get don't some Bailey's. Um, yeah, Kahlua, yeah. Just if you do, let me know. Let me know. And uh, but yeah, don't at him. Just at me about white rabbits. If <laughs> so uh, the Arizona Fall League uh, wrapped up. Um, before we kind of get into sort of the guys that you know we're we're obviously going to talk about, um, who kind of who who might I not have on my rundown here? 
like a guy that we've never spoken about a guy that you didn't have ranked at all going in or hmm. or just someone who really kind of um changed sort of the the narrative um, based on your in-person looks because all i've got hmm. to go on really is the statistics of how everyone did in the afl um you yeah. obviously were in person uh, to see a lot of these guys um what what might you have picked up at the park uh, that might sh- not show up on, on the stat sheet. Okay. I'll give you and and I can't confirm. I'm not looking at your sheet. So I don't know if, if said player is, but there is one hitter that immediately came to mind that might not be on the list to talk about. And one pitcher that came to mind, the hitter was Logan Ohapi with the Philadelphia Phillies. So I don't know if he's on there. He was not a radar guy for me, like whatsoever coming in. Like it, it always happens with the, um, with the fall. Again, it's kind of hilarious. Like, you know, we're prospect guys, but there are literally thousands of guys. And sometimes, you know, your brain just doesn't process. And I was like, Logan Ohapi, Logan Ohapi with the Phillies in 2021, hit 17 homers, 270 batting average. He's a catcher, 106 hits, hit 270, and he was able to do a three-level move, which I thought was really impressive. He went from A to double A to triple A. He struggled in triple A, but it was only six games, and I would mind you, he's 21 years old. So this guy out here is not getting any of the attention because, you know, Bryson Stott is out here, and he was one of the more big, impressive power bats in this league. He's a big bodied guy. And the, and the Arizona fall league has churned out so many impressive, not on the radar catchers. At least I believe that we're not on the radar when they come in. Like I remember when Sean Murphy was here, Sean Murphy just wasn't like a massive name or anything like that. Uh, Kinsner was out here. They've always got these guys and you've got a league that had, you know, Gabriel Moreno was already out here. Corey Lee at one time, Shane Langoliers. So Ohapi was just, on nobody's mind. And from a personal note, by the way, he's one of, he was one of the most likable players. If you were to ask me a question, who were the two most just like friendly, likable players? Juan Yepes is number one. He was the most personality, but Ohapi had this thing where every single at bat, he would come up and he would introduce himself to the people right there. He would talk to the people and he would talk throughout. And I have this video and I, I forgot to share it on Prospect One. And, and sorry, I'm pontificating a little bit, but um, there were these two guys next to me, just these you know fans. And they were talking about the overall prospects and they go, that Bry- and Bryson Stott is up to bat. And they go, you know that Bryson Stott right there, 97 on Baseball America, top prospects. And, Ohop- and I'm in the front row as I do with my videos. And Ohapi is standing you know, ready to get up. And Ohapi hears them amazingly, turns around, and I have this on video, and goes, it's not high enough. It's not even close to high enough. So I just want you to process. This is in-game. Stott is at bat. Ohapi is ready to get in. And Ohapi is standing there, and he starts commenting to the people about Bryson Stott. I just thought it was a personality thing that I loved about him. But when you get to the stat perspective... Ohapi had a pretty good run, 299 uh, batting average out here and over 400 OBP, just under 900 OPS. He hit three homers, had more walks than strikeouts, 21 walks to 15 strikeouts, and blows your mind, he stole three bases while he was here. He stole six in the regular season. So if you put him around 450 at-bats on in 2021, this catcher, this six foot two. They list him at 185, probably closer to 200. Catcher stole nine bases and hit 20 homers combined. And he's only 21 years old. Logan Ohapi is someone that should be on people's radars, especially with the potential advent of a DH. The guy can hit. He's got a good swing, huge power, walk more than struck out, and a very underrated prospect who is not on my radar coming in. 
Yeah, Ohapi and teammate Bryson Stott had the two best K to walks in the AFL. Yep. Uh, so that's that's interesting. I'm glad you mentioned him because yeah. I was not going to bring him up, but um, that's a good one. I mean, if people want to go back and listen, you and I did the the preview episode. Uh, it was actually quite prescient in many respects. Uh, you had the the Bryson Stott call. We were talking about uh, potential best hitters in the league, and he was kind of your guy. Um, and, and that he did not that, disappoint. No, that did not. Um, that ended up looking like a pretty good call. And uh, I said that Nelson Velasquez and Owen White were were breakout candidates. And so um, <laughs> a pretty good call. Only the MVP and the pitcher <laughs> of the fall league. I mean, you, you said breakout candidates and those two literally were the, the awarded players at the end. I, it was a great call. And and so, of course, you got the, the confirmation bias there. So um, those guys will both probably uh, get a bump um when i do update the the top 400 uh you know i think a lot of and i've said this on on other pods uh this off season i mean i think most of the time um reacting too much in in either direction up or down to what a guy does in the afl um it's probably the the wrong move more often than not um but you know it, it's it's still a data point and so the guys where you know, you were, you were high on them going in, uh, but not, you know, full in, um, which I would kind of say is how I was with Velasquez and white when they do well, it is, you know, it's, it's kind of human nature to be like, all right, those guys need to move up. Um, but I do think there's a, there's a group of guys where, um, they kind of were supposed to do really well. Yeah, And so that that's where it kind of gets complicated in terms of like, how much do you reward them? And I think Juan Yapez is kind of the poster child for that because that's a guy who uh, is, was essentially big league ready pre AFL, right? Like, I mean, spent the whole year at triple a was really good. Yeah. Uh, older bat first player in a, in a hitter friendly league with bad pitching. Like there's no excuse for Juan Yapez to have a bad AFL. And so when he goes out and, and does well, um, that's probably, you know, confirmation bias, of course, for, for people who, you know, have been really high on Juan Yapez all year. But I mean, do we really, do we bump Juan Yapez up much um, based on him doing well in the AFL? I think it's a great question. Um, and, and it is tiered because you, I mean, you know, you know, I completely agree on it. And I think we have to tell people a lot that you do have to be careful about this league. For me, you'll see big bumps because Nelson Velasquez is a perfect example. I was I said this on the most recent Prospect One show that I did, that like, listen, Nelson Velasquez deserves a bump if you had just kind of let him disappear, like I did. Like, I was actually very big on Nelson Velasquez in, when he first came out. I think it was like 2017, or I think, I think that was what it was, out here in the Arizona uh, AZL on the complex level because he had huge power, but then he went through this period of just big open hold swing and he looked like he was going to be a sub 220 hitter with a bunch of power. And those guys grow on trees at this point. So he had a good season that he then came over and smashed out here. But I talked to lots of scouts, scouts about Nelson Velasquez and everybody had about the same agreement. Yeah. You know, he, he looks good and he's mashing high fastballs 
everything else is a massive struggle. I saw him with some dirty, nasty swings on off-speed pitches. He looked fooled. But guess what? A lot of guys working on stuff, they get behind in counts, and then they just start throwing fastball down the middle. That's what happened with Jackson Rutledge out here. Jackson Rutledge was attempting to throw his slider at a huge rate, wanted to get the curveball and change up. But guess what? He was so bad in the beginning, he could get no swings on off-speed to start. And then he just started pumping fastballs down the middle with no movement, and guys were murdering him. So that's what Nelson Velasquez took advantage of. So my point is, is Vasquez, I think, has established a baseline of who he is as a prospect, and he confirmed that in the Arizona Fall League. But what happens is people see MVP, they see a good season, and if you're talking Velasquez needs to be bumped from you know the 250s inside the top 75, I think you're crazy. But does he deserve to get that bump inside the top 200 if you were kind of out on him like me? Yes, that's where I'm I'm at. And, I, and by the way, I hope you don't have him in the top 75 and I just defended you or anything like that. But I think that's where we're, we're overzealous in the AFL if I'm answering your question. So same thing with Yepes. If Yepes you weren't really in on, I, I jumped in kind of late into the season in on him and I think the AFL helped me confirm the beliefs I have in him, but his performance didn't warrant the jump into the top 100. So when we talk about the jump, I kind of, my mentally, and you tell me if I'm wrong, James, I mentally think of that rank jump of inside the top 100 with people. I gave some drastic jumps, but guys like Yepes and guys like Nelson Velasquez did not jump inside my top 100. If that's what we're talking about, the AFL bump, I think they just confirmed some stuff, especially me, like visually in person. Yeah, I, I had Nelson Velasquez 276 before the AFL. And so, like, to me, I'm probably going to bump him roughly 100 spots. I, like I think in, I think that's per, I think you're dead on with what you're talking about. So, but I, I think that actually still could be. Now, the problem is, like, I, you know, it's easy to say sell high on Nelson Velasquez. Well, he's probably unrostered in, you know, Agreed. 90% of Dynasty League. So, yeah. um, it's more of a where do you take him in, in your first year player draft thing. But for those who do have him, uh, this would be a nice time to, to try to cash him out, I think, you know what I mean? Totally agree. I mean, you have Nelson Velasquez, I mean, jump on you, but like you have Nelson Velasquez uh, coming off of an MVP AFL and a solid season. I'll bet you you could go get Dustin Harris right now. Like Dustin Harris was like a really solid in-season guy who I think just over time, like we've had some time away from the season. Now, if you go look statistically, someone might be like, "Mm, I don't know. But I think you've had enough separation where if you haven't paid attention for two months that I think the allure of Dustin Harris is kind of like washed off a little bit. I think that might be obtainable with that type of push. So I think that's, and I I believe that is the stuff that you're talking about. Like you could go get the Johinsky Noels. Like I think those guys are in the same, people will view them in the same range, but I've got them tiers above, uh, above Nelson Velasquez. Yeah, that those are two perfect names because uh you know, Velasquez is going to beat both those guys to the majors by about a year, uh maybe even a couple of years with Noel. And so that maybe. proximity and that recent success and seeing, you know, everyone talking about him on on Twitter and everything, that might be enough for you to be able to move uh him for one of those guys like Dustin Harris, I think specifically uh is a guy that you might be able to get for him and yeah. Um, yeah, I think you're totally right. Like it's been months since people were talking about Dustin Harris. And so, uh, you should use that to your advantage. And then like with Owen White, I had him 290 before the AFL, probably bump him to around 200 or so. Um, 
but he even might then, even justify a little bit higher with it. I got to tell you, dude, his curveball is just gross. It's just nasty. Like he really fooled these dudes up, and this is a hitting place, and it was probably one of the best pitches I saw here when he was on with it. That curveball was just swing and a miss. So, but I think you're you're right, and, and that and that's that's why the. The, the, the conversation around the bump is super important because I think you get these vacuum comments that happen on Twitter and stuff like that. They're like, whoa, let me tell you, you know, people changing their name to the name of a player and, and you know, it's, it's this guy's season and AFL and this guy needs a major bump and you've got to do this watch list of these players. And it's like, I, what I got out of this was just the confirmation of a lot of players in the push that they needed. Yes, Yepes was awesome. Yes, Vasquez was really awesome. So I want to put them back into the conversation of inside the top 200s. And maybe for people's minds, I want to put them in 100s. You know, for if you're thinking about proximity, if there's a DH, Yepes could be an option this year. And I, I said this on... Um, I got so many things I want to talk to you about here. Uh, I'm curious <laughs> at your take on it. I'm jumping on you a little bit, but like I was just on uh, the Toolshed Pod with Cross and Clegg, and I brought up this idea that I think there is going to be over the next two years. I think there's going to be maybe the biggest push for proximity than there's ever been before. I think two or three years ago. It was a lot of like, you know, we want the value and we want the best prospects and we're really looking at the future value and stuff like that. I think we are stepping into an era of dynasty and prospect valuation that is going to value proximity more than it has ever done before, which will work in the favor. And you will see guys like Yepes and Nelson Velasquez rank not just from their AFL performances, but they'll take those performances and proximity, and you will see guys like this that are one year away ranked higher than they've ever been before. And really, if you think about the macro perspective of valuation, probably don't deserve to be ranked there. Do you, do you kind of see where I'm going? Do you think that's a possibility? Yeah, I mean, I I think there are a myriad of reasons for that. I, I mean, honestly, I think, um, you know, the the labor issues and even just like covid and just sort of the the way the way the world is right now like i think people are sort of feeling their own mortality a little bit mm. and um people aren't like necessarily looking at like i'm going to try to win my dynasty league in three years you know yeah. like it's kind of like uh I'm ready. Like, let's go. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I, I call them the proximity bros. And it's not a bad thing because there's a lot of inherent value in it, especially with the type of dynasty player that you are. If you are a good, if you're a, if you're a mover and shaker and you can make trades and stuff like that, having those, and you're a good drafter and you pay attention and you listen to shows like this and my show and stuff like you can take the proximity guys, you can take a risk on the value, and then you can swing trades to get young guys again, or you can jump back every, guess what? Every year there's a new draft and there's new awesome young guys to get excited about. So it's not a bad thing, but I think that proximity is going to seep into areas of maybe there's so many more people ranking prospects oh, now. There's so yeah. many more that it's going to seep into people being like, well, hey, I'm the Wanya Pez guy. I got him at 50 overall. And it's a lot about, you know, well, look at what he just did and then look at proximity. And it's like, I don't know, man. Like, well, you, you can take advantage of that wherever. Sorry. I mean, also every year there's a Wanya Pez and every year there's a Nelson Velasquez and you can add those guys off waivers and you only get the one shot at the Marcelo Mayer. Like you only get the one shot 
at like a Nick Gonzalez or someone like that in your first year player drafts, totally. those, those get extreme... one shot to blow. Eminem told us. <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, th- those are still the guys like those elite, like pedigree toolsy guys where there's, there's track record, there's confidence, um, there's upside, like that's still where you should be focused. Um, like if I had, I don't have Juan Yepes anywhere, so it's easy for me to say, but yeah. I mean, I would be shopping him all off season. Uh, I'd be trying to trade him for, you know, any, any guy that's, you know, in, in my top 75. Um, I mean, he's just, he could do well. Um, but also the, the thing with guys like Juan Yepes is like, say we get to say he does get a shot as the, the DH, um, for the Cardinals. Yeah. Um, fairly early in the season. Like if we get to June 1st and Juan Yepes is hitting 230 with a 28% strikeout rate and Bye-bye. he's starting to lose out on playing time, guess what? Like he basically has zero dynasty league value at that point. Because he has no defensive value. He really like is not, unfortunately, he's one of the most likable players I've ever been around in my life, by the way. He is so likable and full of energy and loves baseball and is good with baseball, but he's just, there's not a really good defensive home. He can get a little free swinging. He's got an awesome, big power built offensive swing and he's got huge power. And he also showed the ability to um, hit opposite field. You know, it was, it, it was on, if you were here, by the way, you would see it. Uh, Michael Kaplan at uh, Prospects 1500, who became like a buddy, he was here the whole time. And uh, Spore came out. They were doing a Fangraphs meetup, and we were at the Fall Stars game, which I missed you, by the way, at the Fall Stars. And it was like Kaplan, Spore, and I. And uh, you know, Spore didn't know all the guys, and he was asking about Yepes at one point. And Kaplan's like, "Well, listen, watch. You know, this guy has got opposite field power." And literally, the next hit was an opposite field double on the line. And Yepes was doing that all season long because he's got a good sense of the zone. He's an offensive profile player. Player, but it's such bad pitching out here as well. Are you going to be able to? Yes, you can catch up to guys like Victor v- uh, Vodnik with the Braves. You know, you can adjust to players like that and hit opposite field. But wait till you get in and you're going against Jacob Degrom. You know, are you going to be able to make those adjustments? I don't know how much that free swing is going to uh, to adjust and stuff like that. But the point that you're making is absolutely dead on. Like, yes, these guys have profiles that can get up. But how long is it going to be able to maintain if there's struggles? And how many, how much struggle did we see with high-profile rookies last year? It was so prevalent, which, by the way, I would be looking at guys like Juan Yepes and Nelson Velasquez. And if I could go buy low on struggle players last year, like Key Brian Hayes and Alec Bohm, and obviously Kelnick you would throw in there and a handful of others, I would be looking to make those moves as well because the you know the the proximity does make sense, but the ability for players to stick and maintain and work through struggles seems to be a little bit different than it has been in years past. Not everybody's wander, James. I don't know if you knew that. <laughs> well, uh man, I got so many things I want to say based I know, on I know, that. I just um, I you know so, me, I pontificate. But um I mean, first of all, like so the the point you made about the, the pitching in the AFL, like if you, if you get 80 at bats in the AFL, um, you're going to probably see 20 absolute meatballs and like, <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. you know, like you, you should be able to do damage on those. Right. And 
the pitching at AAA kind of sucks too. And like we saw, you know, that that was kind of a big theme of this past season. Guys who were just absolutely raking at AAA would come up and they wouldn't do anything because there's such a big gap in that pitching. So uh, that's not to say like someone that, that hit well at AAA and then hit well in the AFL, like they're going to immediately hit a, a roadblock as soon as they get to big league pitching. It's just to say that it doesn't mean anything's going to translate. And you want to, you want to stat? Yeah. How many, uh, well, I'll ask you first, how many guys do you think had over 80 at bats? It's not a huge number, but like, just take a guess at how many players in the AFL had 80 bats or more. Uh, nine, 14. Okay. How many hit over 300 of those 14? <laughs> um, seven, eight. <laughs> Eight of the 14 hit over 300. Think about yeah. that. Only two hit under 200. It was, uh, you would absolutely know, Suli Matias and unfortunately Ezekiel Tovar, who was, you know, big boosting guy. How are people going to treat that? Incredible season. But eight. Eight of the 14 hit over 300 with 80 or more at bats. Meatball city, baby. Right, right. And I mean, you your anecdote about uh, Jackson Rutledge, I mean, that's just... That's the way it goes. Like if, if you hang around in a bat long enough, um, chances are you're going to see something grooved and you, you should be able to jump on it. And, and it's a hitter friendly environment just from a dimensions and, and um, altitude and everything like that, too. Yeah. So. And also they were working on uh, they had they were they had the speed clock going. So I can't tell you how many times if you had a pitcher that didn't get the pitch off in 15 seconds or the hitter that you would get extra ball and strike calls. That happened a gajillion times. I tweeted about Spencer Torkelson not getting the, the box quick enough, and then boom, ump gives him a strike. And he got struck out in one of the, that's the one I shared where Hans Kraus, he had a two strike count and Torkelson, you know, quote, didn't get in the box quick enough. And the ump called him on strikes and, and Hans Kraus, you can hear in the video says, no, let him, let him have more at bats. So Torkelson got a strikeout in there for not doing that. Pitchers were also getting, you know, extra balls in their favor or uh, against them because uh, they didn't get to the pitch quick enough. So then you guys get behind in counts, just pointing out, you know, we could go on and on about it. Like, it's just a weird, it's a weird place that you can't read every little thing in, but sometimes people do because what do we have to talk about with baseball on the off season? Right, exactly. I mean, it's, it's, and you said, I mean, like there's probably three times as many people ranking prospects for fantasy as there were like three years ago. Oh, and yeah, so easy. everyone's just kind of, you know, trying to stay ahead of the game. Right. So you know, can't you blame got, them. Got to yeah. break down the AFL. Um, so a, a few other guys, Juan Yepes, we talked about, um, we, we talked a little bit about Bryson Stott, but um, Tristan Casas and, uh, and Nolan Gorman, I mean, those guys we talked about uh, before the league as guys who who could be the best hitters out there. Yeah, uh, they didn't really disappoint. Um, so I mean, I, I think with guys like that, you're just kind of holding steady, right? Like, totally. you, know, you, you go in with high expectations, they deliver. Um, that's that's that basically. Like, I don't think I moved Nick Gonzalez one spot in my ranks. I'm I'm the high. I've always been the high guy, Nick Gonzalez, in that area, and he just like he did exactly what I expected him to. Well, he, like he did what I wanted him to. Well, actually, now now let's okay. Let's talk about Nick Gonzalez because to me, there's a difference between Nick Gonzalez doing what he did and like Bryson Stott, uh, or or Casas or or Gorman. That's a good point. That's a great point, actually. Because uh, Gonzalez was at high A all year, missed time with an injury. Um, Those guys all got to Triple A and had success at Triple A. And so Gonzalez, to me, he was a guy that we mentioned 
in that sort of, um, you know, long shot best hitter in the league, uh, because we knew the skill, we knew the talent, uh, and we both, we both think he's going to be a, a really good big leaguer yeah. uh, at some point, but this isn't a guy who's going to debut in June of next year. I mean, he might debut in June of 2023. Uh, so the fact that Nick Gonzalez went out and did what he did to me, um, I am probably going to give him a, a bit of a bump. But where uh, did you have him? Let me see. Um, so I had him. I had him 21 before yes. the AFL. So where, where do you think, like, you're going to put him in the mid-teens? Well, I, uh, yeah, mid-teens. So I, I'm but thinking. he's already there for me. That's my point. I have him at 15, and I've had him at 15 the whole year. He hasn't moved for me. So I agree with what you're saying 100% because you're right about those other guys. I did give little boost to Casas and definitely to Stott very early on and Beatty. But I, at the end of the day, I, I think they were the higher-profile names that did the things you expected, and I think I found exactly where they needed to go but you are right he is the one guy i didn't move because i already have him in that range and you're going to probably go in the same general area right yeah and i'm actually going to move him ahead of a guy who um i had kind of in the range you had gonzalez and that's marco luciano um now we we just got done talking about how easy it is to, to put up good numbers in the AFL and Luciano was a guy that I expected to to struggle out there and if you if all you did was watch Marco Luciano like watch for his name on Twitter you might yeah. think that he had like a 900 OPS out there um oh but really he... oh because early on <laughs> he was struggle bus city he was struggle bus city well, okay. all I all I saw was just every time he did anything good at all, even like a loud out, I would see a video of it. Um, it's but a, it's a good point because he <laughs> he was the most shareable player. I mean, dude, after the first two weeks of the top ten prospects, he was the only one left because Tort got hurt easy. Abrams never ended up playing. He was the big name to go through, but he was really really rough to start. Then he started to pick it up, and you are right, he's meme worthy, he's viral worthy. You can get anything on Luciano. And he was so unique, too, because he was of, of the handful of guys. There were a handful of guys that, to your point, you're not going to share a Juan Yepes, like line out or anything like that. But everybody in the world wanted to share a Luciano one because then you could talk about his bat speed or his hustle or how hard he hit it, the sound. You're totally right about that. There was so much conversation around him. Yeah. And I mean, did did you like did you see him live and what did you what were your sort of takeaways there? Because to me, it it was kind of basically exactly what I would have would have expected from him just given his um, track record up until this point. Yeah, I don't I don't think um, I would go away with I don't really change too much. I did give him a little bit of a drop um, towards the beginning because I, I think he confirmed he confirmed the like wildness of, of his approach. Uh, early on, which is it's heavy, heavy strikeouts. He's still a big power hitter. He's still turning on it. There definitely was a, I mean, he's one of the youngest guys there. And that's one big thing I didn't want to hold against him. And he hit 253 while he was out here, which it's not horrific. Um, it, he didn't blow the doors off, you know, from a top 10 prospect. I think people would look at this and they go, oh, he hit 253. He only had three homers and he had no other extra base hits. And I think people would want to knock him for that. But I do think he's rounding into the player that we know him as. I think there might be a little bit of a, 
an effort level thing that's going on with him. He definitely lacks some effort, you know, on a hit where he didn't hit some big mashing home run. He would just kind of walk to first, which you don't like. I think he's in an adjustment period. The strikeouts are there. He had 28 strikeouts in, what the hell was it? 28 strikeouts in 75 at-bats. You don't like to see that. But he did everything that I thought he would do. He's got big game-changing power. The one thing I'm a little bit worried about is... I wonder if the stolen bases are really going by the wayside. He didn't, I think he attempted one stolen base while he was out here. And I'm a little concerned that, you know, this might be a big bopping power hitter that isn't concerned with stealing bases anymore. But I didn't knock him too much. Uh, I knocked him right at the beginning. Everything else he did wasn't knock worthy. I'm not quite where you are in the teens, but... We're getting kind of close. If this is, I think, a really big important year for him. Uh, he he was intertwined in, you know, his big maturation period of new levels was during the COVID season, and then he's, you know, like, is there some struggle last year with strikeouts? Yes. I don't want to hold all those things against him and knock him down into the 30s or 40s, but his value is definitely lowering this offseason. and I think he's a guy that is going to go from a top 10 into the low 20s or 30s for a lot of people, and there might be a buying period on him. But I'm not really sure that's even what you were asking me. No, I, I just, you know, to me, I, you know, and I, I never really thought the steals were going to be a part of the thing. So I was sort of hoping for four category juice from him. And now I think it's three category juice. And I don't even think the batting average necessarily is like one of those really harmful ones. Like, I don't think it's going to be Joey Gallo or anything like that. But yeah. I just, I think it's going to be power. RBIs runs and at this point like if you just told me he's going to have a 255 average at peak I would honestly take that because I think, I think if he has that he's still going to get to all that power I kind of think you might be right about it as well I I'm holding on a little bit of hope because he really he does have a, a special hitting quality about himself the way he uh, even in the AZL you know, when you can compare him, when I did in 2019 against guys like CJ Abrams and Corbin Carroll, high batting average players, he was in that same category. But I don't know if he is going to mature and transition like those other guys at this point. You know, like like this is a period of time where you really start to see who this hitter is going to become and how are they going to adjust. San Francisco is a great place to put him in the right direction. I just think they really need to start stepping on the gas and you know, making those changes, but you have such a massive 18 months that he just experienced between no minor league season with COVID full season, and then being one of the youngest players in the AFL. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but I think 2022 is a really, really important year for him to see those strikeouts um, adjust and come down a little bit. And if he struggles out the shoot, I'm going to be a little bit more concerned than anything else because I don't know how he's going to recover. I am, I'm not sold that Marco Luciano is a recovery prospect like like Rafael Devers was when he was like he could have a hundred buck 80 average month and then he could have a 380 month I don't think Luciano is that with those strikeout issues and maybe lack of batting average he needs to be consistent and if he's not then I think we are looking at more of like a you know a not top echelon prospect and we're looking at more of like a fringy like yeah this could be a 30 like you said a three category guy like the fringy 30 40s type of overall prospect so three other guys along with Luciano who I didn't think would do well and they did not do well. Uh, Joe Gray, Yoelki Cespedes, Ooh. and Ezekiel Tovar. Did you see anything from those three where it's like, because I, I don't think anyone should have expected those three to, to perform well, but 
they all performed so poorly that perhaps um, there's some red flags that maybe we didn't even think were there. I don't. I didn't know that you didn't think Tovar was going to perform well here. I mean, I think he was the youngest here. I, I'm not sure I was aware that you thought he was going to perform poorly. Well, he had like I just I I think we I, I mentioned him on our preview pod, I believe, just because I was shocked that he got sent there because it of was, his yeah. lack of like he basically did well at low A in a hitter friendly condition and was terrible in like a small sample at high A. And then he got sent to the AFL. Like, I, I just don't know why why anyone would have sent him there, but I also don't know why you would have thought he would do well. It was a good know. call. Well, dude, all I can get out, I can't get it out of my head. Uh, when Eno was here, I spent a lot of time with Eno Saris when he was here in that first week. And like, I was sitting with him and I, you know, I'm going through some prospects with him. I'm like, this is so far. And he was just like, he's like, I don't like him. He's like, he's so small. Like, you know, hated Tovar. He's like, he's so small. I don't like the approach. He just really was out on him. He's like, I don't know about the pedigree. And maybe there's a lot of pedigree, but he just did not like him. Tovar improved a little bit on the back end. But yeah, he struggled out here. He was kind of free swinging. Body type was even skinnier and smaller in person than you expect to really develop high end power. I just like... I don't know if there's anything that pointed out, but you know, Tovar was a guy that was like top 50 for people because of stats and you know, low Colorado stats. I don't buy that. I'm a little bit off of it. Joe Gray was shocking how bad he was. Like, did I expect him to succeed? No. Uh, I think it was an overperformed season, but I didn't expect him to hit like a buck 16. Or I'm sorry, he hit 69. <laughs> Not nice. 69 out here. No. He was horrific and very, very free swinging. Um, the Cespedes one stood out to me the most because did I think he was going to succeed? No. But did I think he was going to struggle at the, his level? This is an older, you know, experienced Cuban player that moved a couple levels that this is the competitive place where he should be able to have some type of thriving. And it was the exact opposite. He was back to his old tricks. One of the worst walk to strikeout ratios over 20 Ks, no walks whatsoever, big open swing. And he got moved to hitting ninth in the batting order in the AFL out here. That's not what you want for him. I'm very worried about it. I like physically it's a big body power swing, but all those worries that you heard right when he came up, Oh, you know, he's just swinging at everything. He's not hitting off speed. It was prevalent. And you know, like Joey Weimer, Joey Weimer killed as a older low A guy. Like I a little critical. I'm always critical of like 23, 24 year olds who just destroy at low A levels. It's like, okay, cool. Let's see it do a little bit more. He murdered out here as well. He just extended it over here and his weird, you know, approach and movement and all that type of stuff. He made it work out here. Cespedes didn't, and Cespedes got exposed left and right with really bad pitching. So of the three that you pointed out, Cespedes is my biggest worry because I had high hopes that he might be able to establish some value out here, and he just continued to struggle. There's another guy I want to talk about with you that struggled, struggled, but this is one who should not have struggled, uh, I don't think, at this level. Who? Pedro Leon. Pedro Leon. Oh. Like I'm saying Cespedes has struggled at a level that he should not have. And he's the one I'm going to point out. Pedro Leon was another one of those that I had the high hopes for. I had high hopes for Cespedes at his age and being out here that he could have some success. And Leon was the other one that I just, yeah, how close he was that. 
and, and the year that you know you just experienced, I had high hopes that he he didn't struggle at Cespedes level, but he really was a struggle for me at the end with how bad his approach was in every single at bat. Well, see, when we talked about it before the AFL, I thought we both. Um, I didn't have. I didn't know what to expect of him really. And, and I, I didn't we, either. We mentioned him. We mentioned him, I think with like CJ Abrams of just guys where like coming back from injury, um, you know, he, he obviously like was playing really well in the middle of the summer. Then he got hurt and he did not perform after coming back. Um, I mean, I, yeah, you saw him obviously in person. I didn't, uh, honestly, like 20 strikeouts, 13 walks and 84 plate appearances, like doesn't look bad to me, like 381 yeah. OBP, but I guess there were some, some iffy um, swing decisions when you saw him in person. Yeah. I mean, my bit, my big thing, and I was, I, I didn't even mean to jump into him. It was just like, when we're talking about those guys, I don't know what to expect, but I, I think I did also have some type of expectations specifically for the older Cuban players that were out here that were supposedly closer to the majors in a bad pitching environment. So like Tovar, super young, let's move on, you know, from Tovar. We don't need to focus on that. Joe Gray, I don't think this is the best place for him. I'm worried about the level he struggled, but Cespedes and Leon, I thought would walk out with at least a better run. Cespedes was so much worse, but Leon, it's not about the stats. And I do think Leon ended up getting frustrated out here. He was very frustrated in the final game. Like people were trying to talk to him and he was just not talking to anybody and just walking out. I think he got... Uh, over, on top of a lot of pitches, he got exposed low in the zone. Ospie took advantage of him. He took a lot of really bad swings. And I'm not really sure what it all was. But, at you know, the final game, I saw him steal a base and I saw him connect on some singles. I just, my point is, is the expectation of the type of player that could succeed out here, even though we didn't quite know what we were getting in for, that I thought he underperformed but not at the level that Cespedes. Cespedes is the biggest underperformer, I think, here from a, oh boy, you can't, you can't work this out even here, even though this is your first like full season. I was hoping for more. Who was worse in the AFL, uh, Yoki Cespedes or Victor Victor Mesa? Oh, Victor Victor. <laughs> Victor Victor is one of the, it's I the, mean, you know, you saw it yeah. firsthand. It was one of the worst AFL hyped type of guy performances like of all time. Now, I mean, with him, like he had such a terrible year before that, that it's not like anyone was like, thinking oh man i can't wait to see victor victor mesa like he, he's probably gonna rake but i mean but like it's a hitter friendly environment yeah. again these are like older guys the older when you get these like older guys that come here you need them to succeed i'm not gonna hold stuff too much against tovar i'm not gonna hold stuff against guys like luciano uh when perdomo was here even though he kept hitting the younger guys it's not the big thing it's the older guys that come out here and Okay, if they hit like 200 or something, like, like you're right. Like, Leon, are we going to hold that much? I was worried about the intangible stuff with Leon after seeing him in person, but statistically it wasn't. But guys like Victor Victor and Cespedes, those were bad. Those are well, bad. Well, I would, I, you know, I, I'm going to defend Leona just a tiny bit. Like, I, I would rather him be upset about 
playing poorly than indifferent sure. about playing poorly, which is what Victor Victor Mesa was. Oh yeah, I mean Victor Victor, you know, remember? Yeah, he just he looking like RoboCop out there with like, all this shiny gear. Like, Can I please glasses? go home? Like I just don't care at all about any of this. Um, yeah, and that's what I'm I'm liking it too. But I guess like my thing with Leon was I was I was cautious coming in, and I'm curious: is there anything that would change your mind? I mean, me talking about like, hey, listen, he was more free swinging than you'd like him to be. He's a smaller bodied guy. I think than you would expect seeing him in person. Uh, his arm, by the way, he threw had one of the worst throws I've seen in a long time in the outfield out there. But I also think he got in his head and got frustrated, and he carried it throughout. Is there anything with how aggressive you are? Because I I was built in cautious with him. I cautiously ranked him, and so actually I'm not moving him, even though I think if you ask anyone that was out here for an extended period of time, Leon did not impress. I don't have a lot of movement for him because I was built in cautious. Is there anything for you where, you know, you hear me kind of talk about some of the free stuff. Maybe you'll talk to a few, a few of the other guys that saw him. You see statistically that it wasn't anything incredible. Are you going to come off a little bit or are you going to excuse the AFL for him because of, you know, the things that we know? Um, so basically the exact same thing with uh, Leon as with Luciano, where like I'm not looking at what they did in the AFL and being like, I have to drop you because of how you performed in the AFL, but I am going to move um, guys above them. Like it's going to be more of like a, why, why did Leon drop like eight spots in your rankings? And it'll just be like, well, because I moved. Um, you were excited about some other guys, you know, whoever. I, I mean, like I might move like Marcelo Meyer over him. I might move George Valera over him. Yes. Um, but I'm not going to move like I'm I'm not going to move Michael Harris over him or or Edward Perez or Reggie Preciado or or Austin Martin uh over him um because to me those guys haven't like I, I haven't thought differently about those guys yeah. um in in a few months and um like this was an opportunity for Leon to to climb uh inside my top 20 um but I don't think he was bad enough to fall outside my top like 35 really i, I think um, something that I, t I take away with him was this was an opportunity for him to thrive in a way that would push the astros to be like we got this if cray is gone we can throw him in at shortstop or we're gonna throw him in he's a day one guy i don't think he did that he showed off kind of a poorish arm as far as i saw him and he looked a bit overmatched here that i think it could be the catalyst to the Astros not feeling confident enough to throw something his way right away. And A, you know, they could bring some bodies in that don't give him a clear path. And B, even if they don't do that, they might want to have him have some more minor league stuff. So where the, you know, the proximity bros can't celebrate. There's no celebration on it that maybe it changes the timeline just a tiny bit. It might be overreaction. You know, well, I was very hyper-focused on him. It might be an overreaction, but I think those are possibilities that now occur with him that change his timeline a little bit. I mean, I think, you know, I on the on the podcast I did with Eric Cross a couple of weeks ago, I I said I thought Jeremy Pena would get the first crack if they don't bring anyone in. Ooh, um, yeah, Ooh, I like I that just, take. I, I just don't think I like they are not going to rush Leon to the majors at all. Like, if he forces his way into that mix, they'd love to to have him in in there. But uh, the worst thing they could do is is bring him to the majors when he's not ready, and then have it get into kind of like a mental thing. Um, but I, I also think, you know, with any, like, so 
anytime like you were lower on Leon, you were more kind of cautious, right? Yeah, cautious um, is my word for it. And so it, you know, it's it kind of depends on what your priors are on a guy, right? Like I didn't see enough to come off of him and you didn't see enough to get on him, right? Like it, yeah, it's yeah. not I I wasn't valuing proximity enough. The only thing I want to throw in like I I think there is something that should be considered and should be given for value of proximity and I wasn't giving him the extra proximity boost. I want to point that out. So I acknowledge that and my cautiousness had him lower probably than I would say most people. Okay, so um let's just cover some of these top pitchers really quick. Absolutely. Uh, Roensi Contreras, Landon Knack, Cole Henry. We discussed all three as having a chance to be the best pitcher in the league. Uh, did you see all Who's three? Who's the first one? Uh, Contreras. Roensi. Contreras. Okay. Uh, I did not see Contreras, which I'm super disappointed about. He was kind of my white whale. I missed all, every time he had a start, I missed. I did get to catch Cole Henry once and I caught Landon Knack twice, I believe. How did uh, Henry and Knack look to you? Henry was all right. Um, Henry was pitching sometimes out of relief. Um, nothing exceptional. I, I don't think, I don't remember. I'd have to look at this. I, I want to say uh, statistically he did not have a good run. I just don't remember. Landon Knack definitely had a lot of the U vibes. I Like the stuff that you were excited about him, you could definitely see some of the stuff. It definitely was plus. I'm not sure it was the best pitcher out here type of stuff. But, I mean, he outperformed Bobby Miller, who I think physically Bobby Miller is the most impressive and throws the biggest heat. But um, all were average. I don't think any of them stood out. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think that that, that uh, kind of aligns with sort of how I, it, it looked on paper, I guess. Um, yeah, Nat got scratched towards the end, too. Cole Henry also left. Mysteriously, uh, he wasn't there. He was, like, on the, ro- the the roster. And then I think he just got done. That was a weird addition, I, I think, that I've never seen before in the Fall League of the amount of guys that were just like, we're done. Like, Jordan Hicks, he pitched, like, two games when he started, and he just said, I'm going to go home. Like, he literally said that. He's like, I'm going to go home. Lars <laughs> Newtbar they sent home. Like, the amount of guys that got sent home at the end was – like I, I feel like double than I've ever seen it before. So Henry was pretty limited, um, but good strikeouts and you know decent command. He only started half of them out of relief, and it was just, it was just such a weird pitching market. All right, we got to head to a quick message from our sponsors, but when we come back, I'm going to ask Welsh about Austin Wells and JJ Bleday. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. If there's one thing we appreciate here at Rotowire, it's making good decisions and even more so making the right decision. Listen up, folks. I have an incredible offer for you with Rotowire's newest partner, WinBet, the premier digital casino and sportsbook app. WinBet is now the exclusive sponsor for Rotowire's fantasy podcast. WinBet brings you all the latest action with a user friendly interface, money line bets, boosted parlays, over unders, round robins, live betting, and so much more are at your fingertips. Want a break from sports betting? Head into WinBet's digital casino and take a spin on roulette, double down in blackjack, slam the slots, or try your hand at Baccarat. WinBet is currently available in six states, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia, while rapidly expanding. At WinBet, the possibilities are limitless. WinBet is currently offering all RotoWire listeners a risk-free bet up to $500 on your first wager. Download WinBet now. That's W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. WinBet, the exclusive partner for Rotowire's fantasy podcast. All right, Welsh, uh, Austin Wells or Gabriel Moreno? Who had the more impressive folly? Ooh, uh, I'm gonna go with Gabriel Moreno. Uh, but both got the boost. Both definitely got the boost. Uh, uh, I gotta ask you. Did you hear my Austin Wells interview? I know I just posted it, but did you listen to it yet? I actually didn't want to listen to that before doing this pod with you because I didn't yeah. want to. Um, just you know, I, I want people to go listen to, to that one as well. I didn't want to like avoid anything because you'd already touched on it or anything like that. No, there, I got to tell you, it, it's it's actually just an entertainment thing. Go listen to it for a good laugh because I set it up. It was uh, it was an interview. 
uh, with Austin. Now, I, I, I had to preface this because I want to say this a lot, and this doesn't exactly have to do with the question, but like Wells was not uh, okay. <laughs> Let me rephrase. Remember when I did uh, Alec Bohm? Alec Bohm was a weird interview, and it didn't come off great, and you could tell like he got a little defensive about some stuff. It just wasn't a good interview and stuff like that. And I immediately told you, I'm like, you're going to hate him. Like, I'm, I, I think it was the first thing I said after the interview. I was like, James, you're going to hate Bohm with the answers. Right. You remember that? Mm, yep. All right. So Wells, um, not a bad guy and didn't say stuff that you're not going to like, you're going to dislike about him, but was maybe the most disinterested a player has ever been in doing an interview with me. And again, he wasn't <laughs> dismissive of me. Like I've talked about, I did an interview with Jared Kelnick, which rubbed me the wrong way. He was, very, he's, he's a nice guy. I actually like him. He gave great answers, but the minute the interview started, he wouldn't look at me and he didn't look at me for seven minutes straight. And I was like, what is happening? This, but you, you learn if you watch Kelnick interviews, he actually doesn't look at people and I don't understand it. And it, it was weird, but then I was like, okay, I moved past it. Wells was just not having it. It's a weird interview. He gave me absolutely nothing. Go listen to it. He also unintentionally said one of the funniest things in the first five, uh, first five seconds almost. Listen to it. You're going to laugh with his response to winning uh, Player of the Week. But that aside, Wells was super impressive. I just had to set all that stuff up because it was so weird. And I was so hyper-focused on him. Um, but, I mean, he also says, by the way, I asked him about not playing catcher. And he says the Yankees just not even talking to him about that. It's never been a discussion. He's just a catcher only. He did not want to give me really any good information about anything, about COVID, about what the Yankees are doing, how his seasons have gone. Uh, just I don't know what to take away from it. But he had a decent fall league out here. He had a similar book, I felt like, to Torkelson, where guys want to hit him low. But I think well Wells wants to hit low. And he had some big rockets in there. I thought he was, he was impressive for that factor. But he's like a little kooky. He's a little uh, off the board but Moreno before the final week I looked at Gabriel Moreno and I was like dude this this is like Vlad not exactly like Vlad like as I said on prospect one I'm like hold up don't think I'm thinking he's Vlad but in the same sense that Moreno was not being fooled you you weren't going to throw stuff on the outside that he got fooled with you throw it in the end zone he's going to or throw it inside the zone he's going to take his pitch and he's going to rocket it. It was the same type of presence with a lot of doubles power that'll turn into uh, future power. But then Moreno got like a little bit exposed towards the end uh, in the championship game. Jackson Rutledge made him look silly with his slider. And, and I noticed at the end, like sliders on the outside seemed to be a little bit of a struggle for him and something he's going to have to adjust to. But Moreno, I thought was the best hitter, but Wells has like game changing power. Like he has got that plus power and he's a pretty solid hitter and he's a pretty good on base guy as well. If he does hit for average, Wells is going to be a 30 plus homer guy and he is worthwhile being a catcher slash DH player. That's how good he'll be. But I just don't know where it processes with the Yankees. Uh, there is a hole with Gary Sanchez out there, but I don't know if he's a good enough catcher. This is just my eyes uh, that they would throw him in. But, you know, a three minute answer to say Moreno over Wells after the AFL. Yeah, and I, that was kind of a tongue-in-cheek question. Uh, I mean, I obviously I think everyone would say Moreno, but um, you think so? I, I mean, isn't I, he pow, Wells's power is something else, dude? I mean, it really is. Well, like, no, I mean, I'm not like obviously, you know, I like Wells. Uh, you I love just, Wells. You know, Moreno's 
people have him as like a top 10 real life prospect and stuff. Um, I guess that's true. Yeah, they really do love him. Yeah, I guess it was tongue in cheek. I'd just been dying. Like I sat on that Wells interview for like a couple weeks and I was like, boy, when I <laughs> when I release it, it's going to be I, I'm dying to get like the people I respect their take on what he gave me because I'm not sure if my interview skills this AFL were like, you know, 80 grade just because I had been two years of, of not, you know, but not being around guys in person. And because I'll, I'll adjust on the fly with players and try to ask some new questions. But this was it was a rough one where I had the questions set in my head and I was like, boy, there is nowhere for me to go with any of this stuff. But he's a he's an he's an interesting dude who I think goes to the beat of his own drum. But he's a solid hitter. Moreno, impressive. Both of those guys. And Moreno definitely has the defensive edge and Moreno is actually almost a year younger than Wells, even though yeah. uh, Moreno has a uh, much more upper level experience than Wells. Um, I'll do you tell think you though. See, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Do you think we see Moreno this year or next year? I actually am going to lean next year because it's something that was so prevalent. And I always think it's fu- it's kind of funny to me about scouting. I mean, I'm not a scout. You know, there, there's there's such smart people that are scouts. But scouting also gets very hyper-focused. And maybe that's why I would never be a scout. And I'm just better suited, like, you know, rambling and stuff. Is, like, Moreno is so impressive. Um, you know, he, w- he was throwing out guys make such great contact, showing off power, uh, you know, even experimenting a little over at third base and some practice sessions and stuff like there's everything to like, you know, you will hear people unanimously say he's the best Toronto Blue Jays prospect and stuff. But like when I would ask about Moreno multiple times, the first thing out of their mouth, uh, people's mouth. And there was one scout particular, I was with someone who asked a scout about Moreno and the first thing out their mouth about Moreno, just, Hey, what do you think about Moreno? He can't frame. And I think we like hyper focus on how he can't frame. So there seems to be a scouting book on him right now that he's not a good framer. And if that's the case, that's going to be something that would hold him back from taking over that gig, especially in a hyper focused win team. Now, you know, if you've got a spot at DH, they could bring him up. They could let him, you know, work it out at the major. But I don't think they, he's handed a catcher's gig this year. So I think it's more of a possibility of 2023. But I'm still not sure he's handed that because that seems to be this hyper scout focus on him being a subpar framer. Everything else to me looks fantastic, though. So uh, Curtis Mead, um, he was another guy that we mentioned, um, or at least. I mentioned as like a potential like um, long shot best hitter in the AFL, yeah. um, but kind of along the same lines of Nick Gonzalez where, you know, younger guy that hasn't had much upper level experience. So this was a bit of a test for him. It's not like he was at AAA all year. Uh, what did you think of Curtis Mead? Yeah, he's in, uh, I guess this is the official plug. If you want to listen to my last prospect one episode, it, it I have interviews with Nick Gonzalez. Austin Wells, and I played part of my Curtis Mead interview uh, because I, I, the poorest interview I've ever done was with Curtis Mead. And he's the nicest guy. He's super easy to talk to, young kid. Uh, I just, it's pretty funny. I'll go back sometime and play some, you know, of the outtakes of some of the bad stuff in there. But I do have about three and a half minutes of the interview. He is fascinating too. During the COVID uh, time, when guys are playing at alt camps, he was playing professional competitive baseball in Australia. Like that's where he was. And, and I think that really helped him. He talked about that with me, that he thought that was a huge boost for him to be able to be competitively playing during this period of time. And I thought he was so impressive on his approach. I think he had 18 straight hits in games, 18 games with a hit, which was like an AFL record or one of the top records. Uh, he, power, speed. He doesn't 
scene phase. I also asked him about what the Rays are doing with him, you know, because we think of like, hey, Rays, this is a great organization. And he said nothing. He's like, they're just letting him go. So everything you saw from Curtis Mead was Curtis Mead. You know, this young kid who, you know, had been signed out by the Phillies had just signed him. He was playing in Australia. He came over and this was his natural ability coming into play. And he did that in the fall league as well. Uh, I thought it was a great test. He was top 10 in hits in the AFL. I believe he had, tw- he was tied with Juan Yepes with 26. He had three homers, stole a couple bases, didn't strike out. He struck out less than, uh, he only had 13 strikeouts and 83 at bats. So, I mean, I was going to say less than 15 and, 80 plus hit over 300 i think this is a true raised player who can play across the field he's got power speed combo he likes to run uh he's got some of that pure power in there and the rays are not even touching him yet the rays haven't even got their hands on making any changes so i think the uh, future's bright for him he's a great buy low right now yeah i mean just natural hitter um my really my only concern with him is just is he ever like how many years down the road are we talking until Curtis Mead's getting 550 plate appearances? Oh, in a I mean, it's at least three. So like, that's, yeah. that's the thing that sucks about like being a raised prospect. If you're in that like second, third, fourth tier of a position player prospect, like when are you going to, like if, if they can't find any playing time for, for Josh Lowe or Vidal Brujan, um, you know, Curtis Meads, like you said, three years probably. But he also could be, you know, it's not uncommon for teams to send prospects out uh, to create trade value. I mean, you could maybe look at it like, you know, he wasn't an original Rays guy and they're not touching him. They're not really, you know, there's not big communication. He had a great year. You send him out to the fall league. All the scouts are there. He might be a trade piece. You know, they've, they, I, I hate to say it. Like, I don't mean it like this because Mead is so likable and such a nice guy and a really good athlete. But like, there's a lot of Curtis Mead type of players out there. And the Rays may not feel like, you know, they have to um, hold this guy to build. But if anything, he had such a great AFL. He has great underlining stats. He's the perfect trade chip. He's the perfect guy you go and trade when you just spent 200 plus million dollars on the future of your team when you don't spend money and you need to start moving some prospects for some control assets now Curtis Mead is the guy so if you get him to a new organization maybe that timeline moves up a little bit because he really is a really solid player that is almost seems like he's untouched by a lot of like American coaching and maybe analytics and stuff like that yeah I mean there's probably 10 teams if if Mead got traded to that I would give him uh you know 10 10 spot bump oh, um, go to the diamond go to my Diamondbacks or something <laughs> like that like you might come up in September <laughs> yeah um the Diamondbacks would be one of those teams for sure. Yeah, uh, sure. So when we did that preview pod, um, probably the thing that I was most wrong about was that I had low expectations for JJ Bladé. Yes. Uh, oh, but of too. course, even though I had low expectations, like nothing's going to surprise us in terms of any hitter going to the AFL and performing well. Um, you know, are we, I just don't, like, I feel like this is a trap. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love where you're going with this. I'm so with you. Like, just ask it. Because every, like, look, there's a lot of people who really want JJ Bidet to happen. And yeah. um, the Marlins, the Marlins, <laughs> dude, the Marlins yeah. sent out a film crew. Uh, it's like the third <laughs> week to do a life a day in the life of JJ Blade. And wow. and Jeter came out. Jeter came out. He was outside of <laughs> Sloan. They got Jeter out there and they had an entire film crew of the life of JJ Blade, which you'll see in 2022. So yes, everybody, the Marlins <laughs> specifically, want JJ Blade to happen. Yeah. Um, 
So I guess it's just, you know, you've, you've got that, that big junior year at Vanderbilt yep. and you've got this big showing in the AFL and in between, you've just got a lot of blah. Um, There's some blah. <laughs> so where does that leave us on JJ, JJ Bleday in terms of uh, where he fits into a top 400 or top 500? Because before the AFL, I had him. Oh, man. Scrolling. How far down did you? Put? <laughs> I, I will tell you this while you're looking. I also pushed him outside my top 100 far before the AFL uh, started up. So I had him at 190 coming into the okay. AFL. That's a little bit lower than me. Now, I think that was a maybe a bit of an overreaction to to bump him that low. Yeah, he made you mad. Um, or I made him mad. He, I, yeah, I made way. him. And well, you, yeah, yeah. He made Peter. you mad coming into the <laughs> AFL, and then he saw your rank, and he's like, "Screw this, James guy. I'm gonna." Well, win. I don't. You know, I don't have any. It's not like. Um, I haven't been like touting JJ Bidet a ton or anything. I, so I, dude, I think we've just been talking about JJ Bidet. It was so bad this past year <laughs> and so disappointing that I think we all just said, oh, I guess this is, if he's going to be this sub 220 hitter, we don't have a lot of room for him regardless of proximity. Yeah. And, you know, he time is not on his side. I mean, he, he's 24. Um, there's there's going to be some competition in that outfield in the coming years. And Chris Blessing came on the pod uh, about a month ago and said that he, he thought Cameron Misner looked better than JJ Bidet. And mm -hmm. I mean, that's just, that's just one guy in that outfield. I mean, yeah. Misner also led the AFL in strikeouts. I just throw that out, but yeah, but yeah. he also was second homer, seven homers, uh, 30. He had the most strikeouts with uh, Nelson Velasquez as well. So do you think Bidet, did he play his way back into the top 100? Yeah. Yeah, he did. I'm going to fall for it. I got to be honest with you. He, it, the approach looked really, his swing is like just beautiful. It's a gorgeous swing. Uh, the pitching was bad, which keeps, it does worry me because it's like, man, you throw some of those meatballs. JJ does not miss on meatballs. And he, but he also took advantage of some pretty good pitching. He was just consistent. Like where I saw Velasquez have a couple games where he was just swinging through his boots at pitches that he had no business swinging at and stuff like that. It just didn't see that from Blay. He didn't get fooled a lot. Has some good contact. He was hitting strong doubles. Looked like his decision making was really solid. He was into it. I'm going to fall for it. I moved him back in. He's inside my top 75 because I'm thinking proximity. I'm thinking of the hit tool. There's 30 plus homer power. I mean, the second most viral thing. If I tweeted something about Bryson Stott, by the way, Philly fans, they're letting me go mini viral. The second most was Marlon fans about JJ Blade. And I had a lot of loud hits I got to share with him and he just consistently did it. So I think I'm going to fall into it because of like, I didn't see him do what Velasquez did. I didn't see him get just, you know, like cartoons swinging around at dumb pitches. He didn't get fooled that much. He looked really good. I thought he had a chance to be the MVP at the end of the day. It didn't end up happening, but Bladé was impressive. And he had five homers, uh, had his, you know, he was in the 20s in strikeouts, but also the 20s in walks, stole a couple bases, had a couple triples in there. I mean, he was smoking the ball. So yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna bite, unfortunately. That's one of the few I'm, I'm cautiously worrying about that I might AFL it. So I want to put together like a list of Marlins position players who are younger than JJ Bleday. Oh yeah, <laughs> like Sanchez, I, I think, I think Jazz and Sanchez are both younger than Bleday. Yeah, and, you're right, one hundred percent. And Bleday was the what Lady fourth Diaz overall probably. pick out of the SEC. Um, Twenty four. I mean, but 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 
he had 2019 was his, you know, first minor league season. And then you had COVID and then you had the 2021 season. So we, we got to be cautiously paying attention to stuff like that. It's not like he had, you know, 2017, 2018, 2019, then he had COVID. It was like, no, he had a full ish season. He only had 140 at bats of 2019. And then, you know, he went to high a, and then your biggest developmental year was COVID and it was alt sites. And then he jumped to double a and he struggled. I'm, I'm counting that in as a benefit of the doubt. Okay. You struggled, you struggled your butt off and you hit 212 off of COVID. And then you came in the AFL and you became one of the best players. I'm trying to account all those things. 19 was good. 2020 was missing. 2021 was bad. AFL was MVP like I'm putting those pieces together to try to buy back in because he legit is going to have a shot this coming year. If you add the DH, Blade is a pretty good asset. You know, him and Jesus Sanchez could play some DH and outfield. Yeah, yeah. And I, I was are you wrong. Gonna, he's are he's you two gonna weeks, come in? He, he's two weeks younger than Sanchez, actually. Oh, really? Um, okay. Are you gonna bite inside the top 100? Uh, like do a little, like come, come with me. I don't know, man. I, I think he's top 125 is, is what I will commit to loosely. I mean, uh, let me ask you, can I ask you a couple? I know like, and I, I have no time restriction right now or anything. I know you might, and I apologize. Everything you do with me is always long, but, um, Johansky, Noel or JJ Blade? Noel. Okay. Um, Ooh, Kobe Mayo or JJ Blade? Mayo. Of course it's going to be Mayo. Uh, let me move down the list a little bit more. Oh, oh okay. Trey Sweeney or Austin or uh, JJ Blade? Sweeney, but that one's pretty close. Okay. I don't, yeah, you're definitely not coming in here. Um, <laughs> Owen Casey or JJ Blade? I will take Blade over Casey. I'm, I'm probably the lowest person on, on Casey. Okay. Um, uh, last one Lars Newtbar or JJ Blade? JJ Bleday. Uh new okay. I wasn't gonna bring up Newt Bar, but sell me on sell me on this Lars Newt Bar character. Um, hey, he is not expl I don't think he is exceptional exceptional at anything. He's not a master what what's the saying they say? He's a master of none, but um a jack of all trades master. Jack of all he's a jack of all trades. Look fantastic. Now he's a little bit older and he had major league experience, so it's a little unfair. But him leading off was money every time. He showed real power, but I think it's in the fifteen to twenty home run potential. He can run, makes great contact, is aggressive in early leadoff counts. So I I, I liked him a lot. I think there's a couple things that you have to monitor with him. It's like, where is he going to play with the Cardinals? If Because proximity has to come into play. But he had major league experience in a place that had no major league experience. I think it was the only one out here with like actual major league experience. So you're trying to acknowledge that. But he looked like one of the best hitters. Not power hitters. Not stolen base guys. He was the best leadoff hitter in the AFL. Hitting in early counts worked out a lot. And he had a couple, I think, leadoff bombs. I mean, he had a huge leadoff double. I got a, a game on the night before he had a leadoff home run. I mean, he looks like he looks like peak Lane Thomas. You know, like Lane Thomas is over there doing well with the Nationals. That's not a great sell, by the way. Well, that- but but like he looks like a exceptional leadoff hitter, but I don't know if he's more than like a 15-15 guy. The only way that I will know that he's going to be good is if the Cardinals get rid of him. But oh, it's, it's a good point. Yeah, if they trade him <laughs> off, it's one hundred percent right. That then I'll then I'll start moving in on Newt Bar. I was all right. I so sp- when Newt Bar goes to like the Brewers, you're going to be in. I spent like five minutes the other day trying to do the math on uh, 
45 days on the active roster with Newt Bar because I was just like, please don't be prospect eligible because I just don't even want to have to oh, think yeah. about ranking mm-hmm. you. But um, you do. I did, you know, I he trademarked his name too. He trademarked his last name uh, to. Uh, this is what I was told by someone that interviewed him. He trademarked his last name, and he's going to make like a like a bar, like an actual newt bar. It's going to be an athlete <laughs> okay. for athletes. It's going to be a bar for athletes. It's okay. real. Okay. Wow. This guy's man. All right. Um, uh, all right. Well, let's. Uh, oh, quickly before we get to P one eighty P stuff. Um, yes. Jeter Downs. I thought it was going to be basically Bidet and Downs uh, going wire to wire as the guys that I had low expectations for and then ended up doing well. Uh, Jeter Downs kind of seemed like he cooled off a little bit, but he still... Two, he hit well for two weeks, yeah. He, yeah, I mean, even... like His numbers in the AFL were at least better than his numbers at AAA. Did you see any reason for optimism there? No, not really. It, he seems to have changed. Like the profile of the hitter that he is just seems to have changed. Like he he looks like he's trying to hit for power. Um, it's not working out. He's chasing a lot more. He's just more aggressive. And I don't know. Like in the early days, he's a great defender. Looked like he was letting the ball come to him more. He looked like more of a contact hitter. He just looks like he is more of an aggressive like power hitter right now. And it just doesn't suit him well. And you know he did. He crushed for a little bit, and he he hits mistakes, but. The problem is, is like, you know, the mistakes at the major league level are maybe one eighth of what you see and where he's hitting in the minors and AF, you know, AFL, the mistakes are, you know, it's probably one fifteenth or something like that. He took advantage. I don't feel good about it. Um, I'm not walking out with, I took him outside the top 100 quite a while ago and he's not going back in. All right. It sounds like we're on the same page there. Um, before I ask you a couple questions about the P180P stuff and let you sure. go, how about you just give the listeners a breakdown of what this is and how they can access it? Yeah, so the P180P mocks, which that's a hashtag if you want to take a look. Um, it's something I, I've done for a couple years now, and I get some of the best in the industry. James is like, you know, literally the first person I ask. Actually, lit- I didn't even put him on a thread of a bunch of industry guys because, you know, I just abuse our friendship and assume I don't even need to ask with James. I know he's in. James I, is always in. I appreciate you leaving me off of that. <laughs> yeah, 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 no, no, no. I hate it too. I hate, I'm like, <laughs> all right, leave. I'm going to leave this thread now. Uh, but what it is, is I do multiple mock drafts of only drafting prospects. I take industry guys. And then I have a patron. I have a, a big group of people that listen now and I have a Patreon, which is just go to in this And I have, I have a, it's like discord, but group me rooms. And I have a prospect one group me room, which has got like 150 people in it. And it's actually is, is uh, um, anxiety written as that sounds. It's very organized and good and re- great discussion. And I have people that are active in no prospects. They love it so much that they are willing to support and pay for it. I get those people and I put them in the draft. So you have active drafts where I put three to five industry guys plus listeners in, and I'm trying to create like a consumer-based drafting. And I take all of these and I create an ADP out of it. And throughout the off season, I will add more drafts to create a better version of ADP. So the idea and the concept is not just to take my ranks or James ranks. You could do that. You could totally do that, but I'm taking habits and you're getting to see habits of where people are out on prospects that pay attention to lots of different areas and it creates a good value system, whether you're starting a draft or you want to know where your guys are valued. So it is the only true ADP out there by actual mocks, not just a one mock done by industry guys, which by the way is fantastic. It's four with them spread out 
And that's just the first version is four drafts that are creating this. I'm going to do another one in January, uh, which I hope to double those drafts. So we'll probably have double digit drafts creating this ADP come, uh, you know, latest January for everybody. So that's the concept of it. And it's top 200 ADP of all the players that are available, except Seiya Suzuki is the only one that you will not see because he is not officially signed. Just throwing that out there to everybody. All right. Yeah. So, I mean, you definitely should be a, a Patreon subscriber and this is really useful uh, content. And I think it's especially useful for off season trading, totally. um, you know, especially kind of like making sure like if you're about to, if you're going to sell off a prospect that maybe you've kind of cooled on a little bit, just making sure that you're not selling too low, um, that type of thing. Uh, but I, I want to, I want to list a few prospects who I think, are overrated by this ADP. Oh, and, okay. So is this might... overrated based on your draft? No, or based on the ADP? overall, the, the, the final um, ODP. Um, Got it. Or the final ADP. Or and ODP. I like ODP. Uh, you know me. Essentially, like, these are guys who, when I look at this ADP, if I have one of these guys, I'm shopping them around. Ooh, okay. I like it. All right. So, um, and I just, I'm going to tell you the player, tell you his ADP, and you say agree or disagree that this guy should be shopped. Um, okay. So just real quick, uh, Marco Luciano, ADP of nine. Do you agree that he's overrated, or, or am I? I do not agree. I, I now I think this is going to probably be the toughest one of all of them because I think it's a thin line. Like I said before, if if you think he is outside the top 20 i see where you're going i still think he at worst is a top 15 18 overall prospect uh but this is like right where i have him still i'm just i'm giving more of the benefit of the doubt for all the things i said before there's massive talent in there but i am cognizant if he's a three category guy he does move off this is a big year uh so i'm gonna i'm gonna slightly disagree with this one okay zach veen adp of 11 yeah, uh, you know what? Yes, I do think this is a good sell high. I'm not sure if this represents um, that he's overrated, but I think that I'll just tell you guys the number. He's 11 on our ADP overall, and he's over guys that he should not be over. He's over Hassel and Volpe, which are two that are absurd. And yeah, I do think Venan is an all-time high, and those low low A Colorado stats are super super inflating, man. So Veen inside the top fifteen probably is a good sell territory. Jason Dominguez ADP of seventeen. Uh, Why did you have to do that one? Do you think that's overrated? I mean, I don't know. I'm I think I'm completely lost on how to do it with Jason <laughs> Dominguez. You know what? No, I'm gonna say no. I think it's the worst trade trade the time to trade Jason Dominguez. It could be the best if you believe this is the fall-off time. Because I will tell you, you, like you said before, what is there, three, four times more people ranking prospects now than, mm -hmm. you and me, than you and me were doing it like three years ago? If Dominguez struggles at, let's call it high A or whatever A level he is in the first month, you're going to see him tank. You're going to see people tank him because they're going to have no more of it. Even though this is a process, he's barely played stateside, but he's going to tank but I don't think it's a great time because I just think he can still get to that top 10 valuation. I really still think he can, but like, if it, like, where do you have him? Do you have him in like the forties or fifties or something? Uh, no. Um, <clears throat> I actually probably don't have him far off of here. I just, uh, saw like 
five to ten guys behind him that I would trade him for. Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with it, but I don't think that's enough to say like I, I haven't met he's twenty. Overrated. I'm okay, 20. yeah, so I think you're you're just in that area. Like, I think it's um uh, it's a it can be a coin toss between guys like Jason Dominguez and George Valera, but there's proximity. Uh, Jordan Walker, you know, I love Jordan Walker. I don't know. Those are still close. I think the upside still kind of lays with Jason Dominguez. So I would say no. I don't think it's overrated yet. But I know where you're coming from by bringing him up. Okay. Brett Batty, 42. Ooh. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, got, I caught myself with Batty. I got a little overzealous after seeing him early on. Incredibly, like, multiple uh, 110 exit velocities. He was registering out here in Salt River Fields. I think he got a little exposed, too, because Salt River is the only one in the AFL that gives you that type of data that you can literally just go into the box scores and you can check it out. And I think the amount of people that were doing that and sharing every time he had a 110 exit velocity got us a little too hyped. He really cooled off. He's a big power hitter, but he's got batting average problems. And I, I, I got a little overzealous to start. Nobody saw it because this is on my own backlist, and I brought him back down. So top 40, prime example. Yes, prime example of a guy I would try to sell off right now if, if, he's, if he's like drastically inside the top 50. Uh, yeah, that's a good call on that one. All right, last overrated guy. Jaron Duran, 47. Oh, I have to like excuse myself of it because I, um, uh, you know how like this is the most quintessential get off my list, get off of my prospect list. I don't want you there anymore because I disliked him to hell in 2019 in the fall league, those little ankles. And then he dominated the season in 2021. And then he gets to the majors and he struggle busted. This is the process sometimes though. So I'm going to say, I, I just have to excuse myself of it. Like, I don't know. Like I've got him in this general vicinity. I think he he's in line with all those guys, the Bohms and the, the Hayes that really struggled. If he comes back out and he does what he did in the minor leagues, Jaron Duran in the forties is going to be a smoking value because people proximity bros, dude, you would be able to get a top 15 pro. I think you get a top 20 prospect for him. If he comes out the first month and starts hitting again, even if it's at triple a, I think everyone will be back just like Vidal Bruhan. I think those two come back out, do what they did in their peak. They're going to be back to top 20 prospects and you can get a, a, a smoking deal, but if they struggle again, they're gone. So to your point might be a decent time to kind of move him. And maybe that tells you he's overrated, but I think that's kind of a general spot for him in the 50s. I think that's actually being safe on what he was at one point. So uh, I don't have a good one. I mean, I guess I have to disagree. Yeah, with <clears throat> with Duran, I um, I'm I'm getting better at this as we as we get through the years here. And that was one <laughs> where I like fought the urge just enough in terms of how much I pushed him when he was just killing it early in the year, and I was telling people to trade him before he debuted. Um, but of course the people that had him weren't listening to me in the first place. So, um, yeah. I'm sure none of them did, but I, I'm, I'm pretty hard out on him. Um, no, and I, I don't, I don't disagree. There's a lot of things I don't like about it, but he made some concerted swing changes that had some serious power, uh, but it all fell apart at the major league level. And, and what's, what's the underlining thing about that? Was it all a mirage? That's what I, I don't think there's enough to know, but he is a gamble. If you don't sell him now, like James is saying, you might get nothing for him. He might that's, be a release player. And that's, I wouldn't have even brought him, like I've got him outside my top 100, but I wouldn't have even brought him up if he, if his ADP was like 75 or 80. Cause at that point yeah. you're just, you're not going to get much for him. But the fact that he's still got that top 50 
ADP tells me that you can at least you can get something pretty decent for him still. And I, there, would, I, would, I see I see 20 guys probably that are lower than him that you and I could both make the case for. Like, I mean, I love Oswald Peraza. Kobe Mayo is very popular. Jose Miranda. Those guys did go after him. That is a perception. And Duran went never went past the 60s. So this wasn't like he got an ADP of 47 because one time he went 70 and one time he went 20. He went within 10 spots, I think, of all four drafts. So that tells you he has the mentality of a top 50 guy, probably for someone in your league. Okay, now let's do um, underrated. underrated. Ooh, okay. Um, Riley Green, seven. Agreed. Uh, absolutely agree with that. Riley Green, uh, I, I made. I don't think I announced this. I made the official move to move Riley Green over Spencer Torkelson. I did that. I've loved Riley Green uh, from top to bottom. Tork, I don't want to do the AFL thing, but I got to see so many extensive at bats of him that exposes a few things. He was a big singles hitter. He wasn't getting on top of a lot of stuff. That book on that those low pitches under his knees, it's still prevalent. I I uh, I tweeted out this at bat where you know Mackenzie Gore just struggled all season long, but he had an incredible first start and he was just beating up Torkelson. He was just hitting Torkelson. Every pitch was low and he was biting on it. And then finally Tork got ahead of it later, but I'm just not sure. I haven't seen him adjust to that. Um, he's such a solid hitter. I love him, but Riley Green's upside with the stolen bases, constant batting average with power. I made the move up. So yes, I agree. Underrated at seven. Yeah, I had, I had Riley Green, um, right. Brendan Davis, Riley Green back to back for like the last two months at three and four. And I think as things stand, like I always said that they were basically, you know, you could coin flip on, on who should be third. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm at the point where I would put green third. So like it, you know, if you see my updated dynasty rankings or updated prospect rankings in a month or two, uh, I think you will see Riley green third. Um, he's mostly just, me. he's four for me. I, I just think he's going to beat Davis up by a couple months. And to me, that's, that's enough um, to have him ahead of Davis, but um okay next underrated guy uh and this is a given because i was the high man on him uh yes josh young yep josh young who is 14 and he would be even lower if i hadn't taken him at 10th in my draft yeah he didn't go outside the top 20 uh in any of them he uh, just letting people know he went 10 15, 18, and 19 were all the spots that he went. And I believe I've got the other data. Um, if I can look here. Yeah, I've got the drafters, Chris Clegg and you. So half of them were taken by industry guys of the uh, Chris uh, of the Josh Youngs. And actually, you weren't the highest. You I got him at 18. I don't know if he's under. I don't think he's underrated, actually. I think this is the general range. Um, you know, if he were... In the 20s, I would say he's underrated. Um, I might even go into the area that maybe the valuation, he's a little overrated right now, but he is such a great hitter. I know you absolutely love him, and I do think from a proximity standpoint and a uh, getting into the lineup standpoint work really well for him. I'm not sold on how high the power goes or anything like that, but I think he's just such a solid hitter. He, he has the potential to be a plus four category guy, which makes him a top 15 player. So I think he's, uh, he's just right. He's just, just right. It's like the porridge, just perfect. Yeah. I, I've got him ranked seventh. Um, I think that he and uh, Spencer Torkelson are, are extremely similar in value. 
Um, and one thing, Ooh, that's an interesting take. I think I actually might agree with that. They actually might be very similar profile. Um, well, and I mean, like I more so just how I value them. It's extremely similar. I mean, I think, I think torque hits for more power and young hits for higher average, but, um, one, one thing that I hadn't really factored into that ranking, uh, I'm doing these, uh, Rotowire dynasty, this Rotowire dynasty mock draft right now with, with a lot of, uh, people that you and I both know, but, um, third base is is really a wasteland in terms of young promising players that you can build around in dynasty like there's hmm. you got the old guys you have like your josh donaldson's and dj oh LeMahieu's. you're saying at the major league level i thought you meant prospects i was like well oh, i'm just saying like yeah. in in just in terms of like if you're doing a dynasty startup draft and you're looking for a third baseman yeah um, there's the, you know, the big, like five or six guys that are going to go in those first two or three rounds, of course. Um, but like, you know, you got like key Brian Hayes and Yon Mankata, um, who I like, um, but you know, both of them, there's, there's some questions about what you're getting. And then like, after that, it's just mostly guys who are either young and not exciting or guys who are on the wrong side, uh, like closer to 40 than 30. Yeah. So it's just, it's one thing to consider like third base. It's really tough to have a good young player on your dynasty team that you feel good about at that position. Yeah. Um, if you're getting production now, because I mean, I, I think there definitely is, um, there's some good depth of third baseman in the minor leagues. Like there's to choose from now, if you're in like a 15 or 20 man league and you look at the prospects at third base, the value does kind of drop off. But you know, you know, you look at young and I, I look at guys like, you know, Jordan Walker and uh, Kobe Mayo, Miguel Vargas. I love um, even further down. There's, you know, some other bets at gauge workman and Austin Shinton and stuff like that. Like those are some solid guys. It's maybe some other guys that are going to qualify in there, but I get your point. Like if you're looking for young, good production now, it is, it is kind of limited and that might play a factor and I, I would be fine with it. That And that's why I say, I think Josh Young is in the right spot. He's a good hitter that doesn't have plus plus power. I don't think there's 35 plus home run power in there, but could he be a number three hitter for this team? If they have a bunch of other good offensive weapons and be a hundred hundred guy. Yeah. I think that's a possibility. Could he hit for high average? Yeah, he probably will. Okay, so the next uh, guy that I think is underrated, uh, I think you're going to have the exact same answer as you had for for Young, but uh, Nick York at 30. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to have the same answer. Uh, I know people will disagree with me on that because there is, you want to talk about like postseason prospect boost. I don't know if there's someone more than Nick York. I'm, I'm going to have the exact same answer. There might be an argument at his level right now to sell because... I mean, I think people are trying, there are some people out there that are trying to fight to not have, they're trying to fight to get him inside the top 20 at this point. Like that's how much excitement is out there. There's kind of also this like, oh, we were wrong and we've got to correct. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but you know, I think there's a, a decent amount of people that would sell off on Jordan Walker right now for York. I think you know, people would sell off on Jason Dominguez for Nick York. So I think he's just right. And I would argue maybe more than anybody, he might be a good sell high right now because if, how much more room do you have to grow with Nick York? Unless you do believe he is a generational prospect talent. Like if he's the next Anthony Volpe and someone might believe that and that's okay. And I think he showed a lot of those good signs and a lot of us were wrong on it, but I think thirties is a good spot and there might be an argument to sell if you can get a crazy package because someone's got to have Nick York. Yeah, I would recommend. Uh, yeah. We're, we're opposites here, obviously um, because I said he was underrated, but like, I, I think you, 
I think he's a good buy high. Um, I do have him inside my top 20, um, and I would trade him for, I mean, dude, I would, I would consider, uh, I mean, you might even be able to get something extra, but I mean, like I, I prefer York to, to Luciano right now in, uh, in dynasty. You could definitely um, get something extra. And then the last, uh, okay, under- can I ask you one real quick? Can I ask you one yeah. real quick? Nick York or Nick Gonzalez? Uh, I Gonzalez, but I actually think I'm going to have him back to back. Like, I think I might have Gonzalez like 16 and York 17 or something like that. Yeah. I mean, the, the positive about Nick is, uh, and, and I would give credit to this. He's a five category guy. And when you're a five category guy that changes, I think some of the valuation and where you, where you want to put these guys and how an ownership and stuff like that. I think for me, the bigger question is like, how big are those five categories? You know, is it, is it like two categories and then like we're, we're having some funsies with these other three, or is it four categories with maybe the potential file of like being like plus, you know, like, is this a, is he an average and runs guy? Or is he an average runs and he's hitting three, so he's getting RBI and he's a 25 homer guy and then maybe he's stealing some bases as well? Like, I think that's the the, the differing thing that we might have in how we're evaluating him. And I'm not sure that he is that four to five where he might be, you know, hey, thumbs up on five categories, but we're really playing for like two solid ones. Yeah, I I think it's, you know, I think he's a 70 hitter. He's, I think he's going to be a 70 hitter and then you get, you know, 25 homers, 12 steals, hundred plus runs, hundred plus RBI. Yeah. And, and that's the top, that's a top 15 prospect. Like without question, if that, if that's what you believe. And then, uh, the last underrated guy is Josh Lowe at 41. Um, yeah, I guess I'm kind of like, this is, I think this is in that general range. I really like Lowe. Uh, I had a great time talking with him. I think there's power, there's speed, it's five category. Uh, playing time, kind of like you said, like maybe that holds up. Maybe that's why I'm putting him. If he were like if he were the Rangers, you know what? He might be a top 25 prospect. So maybe he is a little bit underrated the more that you think about it. But I don't know. Like I, I'm not sure I ever sold myself on him being an elite prospect. I'm not sure I ever uh, also have found a place where he's going to play every single day. And I'm not sure the Rays are going to give him that. They're, they're, I mean, they're still trying to figure out Vidal Brujan. they got to figure him out. They've got guys in the wings. Uh, they've got their usual cast of misfits that they bring in and just rotate. So unless they trade him, I'm not sure I see a big platform for him. But I'll, I'll give you underrated on him as well. And and really, it's, it's about one draft because he went between 30 and 34 in three of the drafts. And then he went 66 in another one. So, like, that's the reason why he's outside the top 40. Oh, that's basically. a great point. Yeah, he did go in the 30s. Yeah, I think he might also struggle. I think prospect fatigue is one of the biggest things that well, exist in Dynasty. It, well, and I was going to say, um, the one sort of drawback of these mocks is it's not fun to take Josh Lowe you know, at pick 30 in a prospect mock, right? Like he's been around so long. You you want, it, it's way more fun when you're doing a mock to take someone that's flashy and fun, you know? Um, so I think those, those kind of guys that do have that prospect fatigue, they would probably go higher in a draft with cash on the line. Um, and you may be right. And, and that's why I think these are, uh, that that's why I value these because I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of process you can pull out of it. I also list each mock so you can see that data uh, when I put these up. You can see, because you're right, low went 30, 31, 34, 
and you got him at 66 because he absolutely bombed out in value. So you can see there's probably some inherent undervaluedness if that's out there, but it still exists. But that's also why you know you got to understand your own league. You might be in this hyper-focused league of guys that are, you know, they're listening to every podcast and they're signing up and they're paying money for data and stuff. You're not going to get any discounts. You know, you're not going to you're going to get anything on over anybody. You're not going to get Nick York for an outside the top 50 prospect, but there are plenty of leagues out there where you got four or five guys that are really into it, four or five guys that are not and understanding the value of where you may be able to take advantage and who you're dealing with is the important thing and that's why listening to guys like you and paying attention to ranks and if you value the ADPs it's all good tools to put in your tool belt when you're trying to go and make moves and understand maybe like where everybody else is at so the last guy I want to talk about before I let you go is sure. um, O'Neill Cruz who uh, I talked about with Jeff Ponce for for a couple of minutes when I had him on a, a few weeks ago. And I mentioned like this was, he was, his ADP was the most surprising to me of like the guys in the top 30 or so. Um, but even in like the three weeks since then, I think he was the fifth prospect to go in this Rotowire dynasty mock I'm doing. So like he is absolutely uh, a red hot, ticket right oh, now yeah. in in dynasty and i mentioned to jeff that it it reminded me a little of when alec bohm was kind of the surprising guy a couple of years ago when you did this yeah but right. i but i actually i get the case with Cruz much more than i did with bohm um because i i think i'd been like low on him this whole time because I'd been holding his funky dimensions against him. Uh, just, sure. you know, kind of stereotyping the fact that it's six foot eight shortstop. It's incredibly rare for anyone six, six or taller to be a successful big league hitter. And so it's just kind of, you know, odds are like, he's not, he's not going to be like, if, if you're just going based off of, of that, and I'm sure this had a part to play in the Dodgers unloading him and, and maybe even Jordan Alvarez, um, just these, these super funky bodies that typically, you know, it's, it's hard to find a body camp for comp for O'Neill Cruz or, or yeah. Jordan Alvarez. Um, but I find myself kind of getting persuaded that he's at least a top 20 prospect. Um, but I don't, I also don't want to be like, the last one to buy in on O'Neill Cruz only for him to just go out and, and be the guy that hits like 240 that I, I think it's yeah. possible. So I just, I don't really know what to do. What, where are you at on Cruz? Yeah, I, I think I'm a little bit, I mean, well, I can't tell exactly where you're at. Like, it, it sounds like, I feel like you want to be more where I'm at, where I just don't think I want to follow everybody with this. I, I've seen a lot of O'Neill Cruz. He is huge power. There's no doubt about it. But he went nine overall in a draft. And his ADP ended up at, inside the top 20. He Twice he went outside of the top 20, but he went 13 and nine in two of these leagues. Uh, by the way, we almost like wouldn't be talking about O'Neill Cruz. He had a really bad car accident that happened in the Dominican Republic, which, you know, killed a couple people. And then I, you know, I, he was, um, uh, you know, I don't know, acquitted of it or whatever it was. He kind of got out of it. There's a big messy situation uh, that was involved in here. So we're lucky to even be talking about him. I've always had a struggle. I know scouts have always loved him because of the intangibles, this big bodied kid who is really athletic and he's got long arms that kind of helped, um, 
it kind of helps subdue that six foot six plus type of thing. Cause I think he's like six foot seven, you know, where, you know, you stereotypically look and be like, these guys just don't succeed. He had those really long arms to kind of just get more length, uh, you know, across the diamond. But I just like, when you look at all the guys that are out there, something that's always held with me when I saw him extensively, especially in the AFL, but even when he was a Dodger is he's got this really lackadaisicalness to him that I just have never been able to get over almost this nonchalantness. Like, is this boring to you type of attitude and even type of swing that's always stuck with me that I think is a little bit of a, of a thing that's never gotten out of my brain to be like, I just don't see how this guy was even like a top 50 player. But I think right now, uh, steamer projections are incredibly favorable to him. I think that's holding up a lot of it. You have a lot of people in redrafts that are taking him. There's uh, the ability to play in Pittsburgh and the guy can absolutely hit 35 homers. I just don't know if he's doing it at a 290 clip. So for him to be a top 10 prospect, I'm just not, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to be in. I will be just wrong on him. Top 20, I see it, but am I going to take O'Neill Cruz over Nick Gonzalez or Jordan Walker or George Valera? No, I will not. I will bet on their talent and I'll just be wrong. But as a top 30 prospect, okay, I get it. You know, proximity, huge power. He could steal some bases. Um, if he plays shortstop, it's going to be hilariously fun to watch him, you know, at that big and doing it. But I, I'm just not quite there and I and I may just be wrong. That may he may be one of those few holes that I just miss out on, but I'm gonna hold off of him being a top fifteen prospect and uh, you know, maybe maybe it'll pay off to stick with it, but it might not, James. So I mean, are, are you gonna be in that range with me? But it seems a little bit more like you want to jump in the water a little bit. Uh well I I'm not gonna be so I think you could trade O'Neill Cruz right now straight up for brennan davis in like a lot of dynasty all day every day and i think you just have to do that uh but this is just like with jaron duran where me telling someone to trade a guy that i've always been lower on is meaningless because the person has him and is thinking hi you didn't know what you're talking about with duran i'm not gonna listen to you um so you're probably if you have O'Neill Cruz, you probably are incredibly proud of yourself. And totally, uh, you're that's not, a good way to say it. That's a good way to say it. Probably, you're probably like looking in the mirror and you're yeah. like, "You did it! You did it!" You. you stare at that roster like five times a day minimum, and you're just like, "Man, I got Cruz! Oh, I did it! It's gonna be so good." Uh, but I, I think this is a really nice chance to trade him. Uh, I'm probably... but, but that's also at the expense of you might get 25 homers out of it. Like he might be a solid, he might be a solid major league uh, regular. Which if you get 25 homers out of it, you're you're gonna probably celebrate. If if you were to do a startup dynasty draft, a startup prospect draft, let's just say just prospects, and you took him nine overall, you took him ten, and you get 25 homers out of him, you're gonna feel like it's a huge win. I'm just not sure the longevity of O'Neill Cruz is every single year, 25, 30 home run. And and if I get that wrong, I get that wrong. I just think he's going to be a streaky offensive player. I think we're going to go through some ups and downs with O'Neill Cruz that aren't going to warrant some of this. You know, I mean, Vidal Brujan was viewed as a top five, no miss overall prospect for all of the intangibles that not the same intangibles of O'Neill Cruz because O'Neill Cruz is power. O'Neill Cruz's power was to Vidal Brujan's speed. And, you know, the extra stuff you gave on Vidal Brujan of, oh, he can hit for power and he's a high average guy. You could put some of those on, oh, O'Neill Cruz has got some extra stolen bases and he can be a high average big power bat. 
I think you might have some of that same swing and miss that might happen with on your cruise. But again, I could be wrong. You could clip this and be like, hey, what an idiot. What a dummy. I think it's it's going to be fascinating to see how it plays out because he will be up fairly soon next year. And I really think that you just no matter who you're evaluating, um, when we're talking about hitters who spent time at AAA last year, just don't forget that that gap between AAA pitching and big league pitching is as big as I've ever seen it right sure. now. And so I just I think looking at what anyone did at AAA and being like, well, it's it's a step up to to the big leagues. Like it's it's more than a step up. Um, Agreed. So I you know I don't know. I think it's I definitely don't think the power is in question with him. Nope. Um, the raw power, uh, particularly, but, uh, I just... he covers a lot of zone and I just want to point out one thing. He had a good run in the majors, but I also think he is specifically one of the most difficult type of hitters for double single double and triple a pitchers to figure out how to pitch around him and how to pitch to him he isn't he covers so much zone he's got good bat speed he's got monster power you make even the slightest mistake he can put that out 350 375 easy but you get to the major leagues major leaguers are going to have a better point of attack so you are in my mind you are truly having to bank on how elite of a hitter O'Neill Cruz is truly going to be because I think he is exceptionally difficult for minor leaguers to play with. The same way I kind of feel about Yuri Perez, who everybody absolutely loves, and he was so exceptional. But, but like, you imagine being a, a high A hitter who's seen like, you know, a hundred pitches in baseball and then seeing this six foot seven guy who can command two or three pitches at you. Of course, you're going to have like a sub one ERA or whatever it is. Like, there are freak exceptional athletes in baseball. And I think O'Neill Cruz has a lot of big positives, but I think those positives are put on proverbial steroids in the minor leagues, which we're really going to have to see how it plays out once baseball adjusts to him. And it may work out, and a lot of people may be celebrating about O'Neill Cruz. I just don't, maybe I just don't have a good gauge on him specifically. Well, and I just, for final thought on him, just imagine where he would be ranked right now <clears throat> and how he would be thought of for Dynasty if it were not for his last 38 plate appearances, oh. uh, 29 um, of those at triple a nine of those in the big leagues, six home runs in those 38 plate appearances. But if his season just ended at double a and he never got those, those six games at triple a and those two games in the majors, I just, I think we'd be talking very differently about him. It doesn't necessarily, I'm, those are data points. They matter. I just think people are looking at those last two lines on his Fangraphs page and are are weighing them heavier than they should. I wish I had said that. I think that was so well said and so important. Do you think if he didn't have those, was it 38 at bats, you would see a steamer projection for 2022 with 19 homers and 13 stolen bases and a 281 batting average in 110 games? I mean, do, do you do you think we would see that? I don't think we would. I think that's a great, great point. Again, this could be clipped and we could just look like such dummies when he's rookie of the year and stuff like that. But uh, I think the best of all the things we talked about O'Neill Cruz is what you just said. There's a lot of weight, as plenty of us do. Sample sizes become so important. Why you should be careful about sample sizes with the AFL or 
one level in the minor leagues or even one year when evaluating a specific prospect, you got to be careful about the sample sizes and you hit it out of the park, dude. I think those 38 at bats are driving home a serious thought process processes on him for right or for wrong. Well, why don't you tell people where they can find your work? Oh boy. Do they even care? They even want to know anymore. I mean, the, <laughs> uh, the five people who are still listening would love to know. Is this, a long, this is the longest Roto-Wire baseball podcast in history, right? Uh, probably. Okay. Well, I'm glad to be it. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I think you've just given up at this point. I remember like you're, like two years ago, I did a podcast and you're like, that's the longest podcast I've ever done. And I'm like, we'll strap in, James, get yeah. ready. But I, it was a lot of good conversation. And you know what? The hardcore people listening here in November, they want this type of stuff. But uh, is it the Welsh is a Twitter handle in this league.com. That'll take you to my Patreon. Uh, you've got monthly updates coming in December. I've got a dynasty list that I do. Uh, that'll be updated. My top 500 prospect list is always updated. The, the P180P, which we talked about, it's there. Uh, so come and check that out. And if you guys want, subscribe. ITL Fantasy Baseball Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's back. We've been breaking down some ADP stuff. And Prospect 1, uh, I took a little break. It's back. Most recent episode, break it down the AFL, kind of like we did, but just from a stat perspective and interviews with Nick Gonzalez, Austin Wells, and Curtis Mead. And then in December, I will be breaking down the P180Ps week uh, every week with each draft and some of the industry people, and James will be on for breaking down mock number two. So if you want to hear more P180P talk all December on Prospect One. Welsh, I love you. Uh, I hope love that you, you and, and the listeners have a, have a happy holidays. And uh, this has been the, the Roadwire Fantasy Baseball Podcast brought to you by WinBet. We'll be back next week. Bye, everybody.